Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About Tree Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as youtube.com slash about to review. On abouttoreview.com, you can find full links to the show notes and guests when I have guests back in the studio, which is probably not going to be for a while, but I should get people on Zoom. I really should do that, so that way I am not just talking to myself in the studio like a weird person. But for those of you who have been recording things in your studio by yourself, you are not weird. You are a beautiful and unique snowflake. This is just weird for me to do. Uh, anyway, so uh, yes, abouttreeview.com, full links to the show notes and guests. There are also a couple links to support the show if you would like to do that. There is a direct PayPal link if you want to do that. That would be great, as well as an Amazon wish list. Now, I should be getting a newer Patreon page up pretty soon. I had a couple of people reach out recently and, you know, say that it was great to, you know, listen again to the new episode. So thank you for that. And they were also asking if I had a Patreon because they would like to support. And I felt real sheepish in recognizing that I just do not have one. So maybe I should work on that. If you have a Patreon and you have had some success with it, or you know somebody who has helped out others create one, definitely send them my way, abouttreeview at gmail.com. Uh, would be great, just so I can get some some pointers, because I would like to do it right, if I am going to do it at all. So yeah, there we go with all of that up front. On this week's episode, I am going to be reviewing two new movies. One came out actually last week, uh, and then one is coming out this week. And I decided to kind of do them on the same episode so that I did not just have a couple episodes with just one review. So a little bit of a delay. But uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music is going to be the first review. And then the next review is going to be Mulan, the latest of the live action and true live action Disney remakes as opposed to like Lion King. Not live action, but that is a conversation for another time. So that is going to be on this week's episode, but before we get into any of that, we need to go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. top of the show, I really, really want to thank everybody who on social media or direct message sent me something after that last episode that I dropped the first episode in six months. Uh, I got some really good just letters of letters. Nobody sent a letter. Although if you do want to send me a letter, please do. That would be incredible. I can give you my business mailbox uh, address for that. But they sent uh, emails and a couple direct messages 
just saying how nice it was to, to have me back. And that was just, it was really heartwarming. Uh, and then I also want to thank Abby once again for the article that was on Seattle Refined uh, about this podcast and about me uh, and actually me. My face is is on there. Uh, so that was actually pretty cool. When I posted that on my Facebook page, it has, I think, currently like over 125 comments um, along with that post and just people you know, saying they were they're proud and congratulations. So it was super, super humbling. And yeah, it was just it was it was pretty amazing. So again, thank you for that article, Abby. And that article is on Seattle Refined. I will put the link in the show notes of this episode again, just so people can check that out if they so desire. All right, uh, rolling right into the first review of the episode. This is Bill and Ted Face the Music. The trilogy, I almost said sequel, but the trilogy to the original two films that came out quite a long time ago. It is one of those things that people always talk about. They're like, you know, can reboots and remakes, should they be done? Can they be done? If they do get done, how long should we wait? Um, The first Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, came out in 1989. The sequel came out in 1991, and then they went on to do a slew of other things. There was an animated show. There was a live-action show for a very short time. There were comic books, a whole bunch of stuff having to do with Bill and Ted. But that all stopped in like the early 90s. And then this movie started getting a lot of buzz. You know, people started talking about this last year, you know, in the, in the before times, in the long, long ago. When movies were like filming and being produced and released. So this movie, when I first started hearing about it, I was more intrigued than excited. Mainly because like I grew up in the 90s. I remember these movies, but I never had like a deep connection to the movies. But they were such just talked about. They were in the zeitgeist, you know, in the 90s. So, of course, I watched them. With this movie, it basically picks up 30 years later approximately and we see bill and ted of course played by the uh fantastic keanu reeves who does not have a beard and i gotta say this sounds super superficial that seems weird uh beardless keanu is not the best keanu he needs to have some stubble needs to have some some scruff to him because he looks great with it when he is all clean shaven like it took me a second to kind of get used to it So we have Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter returning as the eponymous Bill and Ted. Oh, and then I forgot to say, actually, this is directed by Dean Parasot. Um, That might be Perso if he is from France. Uh, And then the writers, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, who created these characters, who own these characters. So that in and of itself is super cool that they are still invested, still you know, caretakers of this of this franchise that they pioneered uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. So we get Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, modern day, really struggling because they they were given this destiny, or rather they were told they had a destiny to create the song that would unify the universe and make everything right, and they still have not done that. So now they are kind of freaking out. They have gone through various 
breakups and they have gotten back together and death was part of the band and then he was not part of the band then he went solo all of these things and they are just now middle-aged being like we were supposed to be doing something something important what happened why are we not doing this thing and how do we get to that point i'm just gonna say this right off the bat this is a bill and ted movie and i know that that sounds silly but if you have seen the first two, or hell, even the first movie, this this is a Bill and Ted movie. And I think for fans of the first two, I think immediately they're going to get right back into the groove watching this movie. Like in the first five to ten minutes, they're going to be in it. For those people who are not as connected, I think it is going to be a little bit of a struggle, mainly because... When these movies came out in 89 and 91, the super California, you know, pseudo surfer dialogue and way of speaking, it worked back then because there were a lot of other incidents, incidents of that. It was it was kind of grating to to listen to that now, especially these guys are now middle aged and they're still speaking like that. They still have not really matured or done anything. That was a, it was a little bit tough. But again, it was consistent. And I got to respect that, that consistency with that. And again, that is something that with Chris and Ed, the writers of this, I really respect that they have been able to maintain these characters for so long. There's a period in the 90s in comic books with image comics where you had like top-tier talent leaving Marvel, creating their own comic books, where they got to own those characters, which they still do in perpetuity until they, if they were to ever sell them. So in the 90s, this was happening a lot. When the big studios or the big companies like Marvel and DC, you had these independent creators being like, you know what? We should make our own characters, and we should really invest in this kind of... <laughs> not even genre <laughs> we should invest in these characters and they did they really went in and like i said there were comic books there was a serial i'm pretty sure but then again in the 90s literally every franchise or every movie had a serial at one point and just gonna say it i was never allowed to have any of them because they had too much sugar and i just had a horrible childhood because of that insert sad violin music here uh, but I'm not going to. So uh, with that, so I respect that they have had these characters for so long and kept them consistent. But that was just, it was difficult for me to to get, I don't even, to get invested again in this. Uh, that being said, the other supporting cast, you do get people returning. William Sadler comes back as Death. He was great. Uh, Hal Landon Jr., who plays Chief Logan, their dad, or not their dad, Ted's dad, um, like, or, sorry, Bill's dad, sheesh. Uh, no, it was Ted's dad. Anyway, it gets a little bit confusing, uh, mainly because of how many times one of the characters gets married over and over again. That would be Missy, and she keeps marrying people, and it gets super confusing. So we get those characters, you know, from the originals, and it, it, it pretty much works. The newer characters, though, those were the ones that I was super impressed with. So Samara Weaving plays Thea, and Bridget Lundy-Payne plays Billy. 
the daughters uh, of Bill and Ted. Uh, and I say daughters, uh, Bridget Lundy Payne, the actress actually, uh, is non-binary and goes by they, them pronouns. And that actually ties to something that I really enjoyed about their portrayals in this film. Not once does any character make any comment about like, oh, why are they doing this? They are, you know, quote unquote, just girls or like these characters, these, they, they never get questioned when they realize, okay, we need to go on this mission to save our dads. We need to do X, Y, and Z. They just do it. And nobody, I mean, you know, the moms are a little bit concerned, but they also are time travelers from the middle ages. So that aspect, I really like. There was just kind of, it was refreshing to have a young female character or female characters, female presenting characters that were not sexualized, that were not doubted, that were not any of those things. They were just allowed to be characters and just to do their own thing. I liked that a lot. That was really, really good. And those characters pretty much worked. It did also kind of grate on me, though, that they have that same surfer-type accent, but they grew up with their dads with that accent, but their moms are British. They grew up in the 2000s because I think they are both, like, I maybe, like, 17, 18. So they grew up in the 2000s. Nobody on the planet is talking like that anymore, so they just picked it up from their dads and ran with it sure sure why not but i liked those characters and and that was that <laughs> they were well done the time travel aspects of this when you go into a bill and ted movie you are not going into it for the time travel mechanics this is not a christopher nolan film where you're going to be breaking down the time traveling being like okay but if they did x y and z you know maybe they could make it work the time travel in this makes no damn sense. It, it is just the MacGuffin to end all MacGuffins. I, 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 it just, it bothered me. It did. And part of it is like, just go along with it, blah, blah, blah. But I, if you keep doing that, then all you're doing is making excuses for the movie. And that was something I did not really want to keep doing. But in this one, we see the daughters going off on their adventure to save their dads, even though they're on their own quest to find this song. But then their wives are also on a future quest, picking up their past selves. It is a mess. It is an absolute mess. But the moments that we get in this that lead the characters to kind of come together kind of work if you turn off your brain. And I hate saying that because you should not have to do that to enjoy a movie, but you kind of have to do that to enjoy this movie. When the daughters go off to, and the daughters, yeah, Thea and Billy, when they go off to start gathering the musicians to inspire other musicians to make the music that Bill and Ted are supposed to be making, they start going through time and picking up musicians. I really appreciated the artists that they were getting, the diversity that they were getting. You have Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong. And yet, for some reason, why were there not very many women that were pulled in from time to help out with this? 
that was kind of a weird oversight, especially because it seemed like they were focusing on diversity and bringing in other artists. That felt a little bit weird and just kind of uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I I could go on a, a, about this movie and kind of the the deus ex machina that, that we get of the time travel. But this is literally the same movie that now I have seen three times. Uh, there are those who are going to kind of break this apart a little bit more and really delve into it and good for them. I'm not sure if I can do that. Uh, this was a movie that, was it enjoyable? Sure. Sure, it was enjoyable. I liked some of the performances. Did it need to be made? No, not really. Uh, but it is there, and it is out there, and I do think that there is a large community that is going to like this who were really attached to the originals, and that might just be me. That might be my own bias of not really feeling connected to the originals. So when this one came out, I was like, sure, sure, I will watch it. It was not something that I was jazzed about, and... Maybe I carried that into the movie, but yeah, uh, one other performance that I do want to shout out, uh, Anthony Kerrigan, who people might know from Barry, he plays a character that as I was watching this character, I was like, how do I know this voice? How do I know these mannerisms? Then at the end of the movie, I had to look it up and it was Anthony Kerrigan. Uh, he was great in this, but his character again makes no damn sense. Uh, so much of this just falls apart when you really start thinking about it for more than two seconds. The th one thing I did like quite a bit, so George Carlin, who played a big role in the first two and also in the cartoon, I think everybody came back for the first season of the cartoon and then they switched it for the second season. Does not really matter. In this, they give George Carlin like a 10-second little tribute and it is nothing like over the top. It is nothing grandiose, but it is enough for them to really give that respect. And that was just great. Like, I, I truly appreciated what they did in that moment when we see him. Because it was like, George Carlin was a genius, flat out genius. And his presence was definitely missed in this film. So to have that moment in this, as short as it was, was exactly what it needed. So, uh, yeah, that was nice. Let me see if there were any other notes. Uh, oh yeah. Chris Matheson, one of the writers, he is the son of Richard Matheson who wrote one of my favorite books. I am legend who I just recently went on like a 20 minute diatribe about to just one of my just poor friends who we got talking about movies and then I spiraled into why I don't like I am legend the movie because the book was so much better. Richard Matheson wrote that book. Uh, the father of Chris Matheson, who wrote this and created these characters. So I just thought that was a pretty cool connection. Uh, spoiler alert, the movie sucks. Uh, I Am Legend, that movie sucks, if you have read the book. So go find the book, everybody. Uh, as for my rating for Bill and Ted Face the Music, which deals with, again, the MacGuffin of all MacGuffins, some of the worst time travel mechanics, some of the oddest choices when... And I will not say who, but certain characters in this, it basically comes down to a huge choice that they have to make, a huge action that they have to take. And they do that. They accept responsibility for that. 
and within 10 seconds it the, the the focus is off of them as if what they did did not matter anymore and that was just bizarre uh actually before i get my rating one other thing that i liked the makeup and practical effects the cgi was real bad in quite a lot of this but the practical effects the makeup and cgi when bill and ted have to go and find themselves at various points in time that was super solid like it looked really good and not only were the was the makeup and the effects good the performances that alex winter and keanu reeves give as other versions of bill and ted are far superior than their regular versions of bill and ted it is bizarre i did not expect that but every time we saw a version of them in the future or something different it just i liked those characters better uh, especially the very old versions some of the best scenes in the movie flat out like they kind of actually got me a little bit for like two seconds uh so yeah my official rating and for those of you who are new to the podcast if you saw the seattle refined article and you were like hey let me check out that podcast there are only three choices the choices are good bad or ugly no stars no letter grades because that is too many options just three a good film is something that yeah you want to talk to your friends about you want to recommend a bad film is something that was just kind of there and it was not something that you were super jazzed about. And an ugly is avoid at all costs. So my official rating for Bill and Ted Face the Music, this is a bad. And I say that because this is a movie that I have no intention of going back to. This is a movie that while I respect the creators for holding on to these characters and being the caretakers of this franchise over these 30 years... It still it just it reminded me that these particular characters do not really do anything for me. So, and and yeah, and some of the storyline was real shaky. Uh, so yeah, so it gets it's a bad, and I'm kind of sad about that, but not sad enough to give it a good. Sorry guys. Uh, moving right along to the next film on the docket, which is Mulan, which is again like I said the latest live action adaptation of one of the classic the new classic Disney films, Disney animated films. This version is directed by Nikki Caro, who is a New Zealand uh, director, New Zealand-born director. This stars Louis Fay, Louis Fay, uh, and this one is tough because like it depends on where I looked it up. So, yeah, the first and last names were switched uh, for obvious reasons, cultural reasons. So if I butcher that, I'm sorry, but uh, Ife. Yeah, she plays the the titular Mulan. We have Donnie Yen in this, Lee Gong, Jet Li, Jason Scott Lee, Jima, uh, just loaded with talent for this remake. Yeah, remake. I, I was thinking like reboot? Eh, kind of. This remake of the Disney classic. We all know the Mulan story from the Disney film. I mean... We know that version, I should say. Like Mulan, the actual story, that goes back to the 4th century in China. There was actually the ballad of Mulan. It was a 62-line poem spanning about 10 years in 62 lines. It was real dense, and then they put a lot in there. But the version that most Westerners are more familiar with, of course, is a Disney one. But that was based off of a play done in the 1500s. So... 
they kind of pull from a lot of different sources. And I think Westerners do not realize how important Mulan, the character is, the historical figure is in China. As Americans, our scope of history is hot garbage for, for a lot of it, mainly because we are children compared to the rest of the world. And when you think of American folk tales and things like that, it is the Old West. It is Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Like these things are still hundreds of years old versus Mulan, which goes back to the fourth century. So it just, it is not even a fair comparison. There truly is nothing like that. And so to take a character with so much history and make a new kind of splashy epic, it was real risky. Um, and and they, they swung for the fences uh, with this one. Right in the beginning, I loved the color play. I loved the color dynamics. The palette was really vibrant. But real quick into this, I realized that that vibrant color, that almost oversaturation, points out some of the flaws I had with the costuming. The costuming was just, it was kind of over-stylized and underwhelming, which is really unfortunate because it looks visually beautiful. Like, it was very eye-catching, but it was almost just, it was just too much. Like, it was just over-stylized, and that was an odd choice that that they made for this they also add an element into this version that was not in the disney version that again various elements might have had it but as opposed to mulan just being a very well-trained or maybe not well-trained in the old writings she was well-trained already in the disney version she was kind of klutzy and then had to learn all of the martial arts that she learned, all the skills that she learned. In this one, we see her practicing from a very young age, but they add in a mystical element of chi and that men have chi, but if women have chi and they use it, it is A, forbidden, and B, they are all witches, which is kind of weird and never explained. And not only is it never really explained, we never really see it done by a lot of people who actually get some development. We see certain characters using chi and running up the side of a wall, but we never get really any explanation as to, A, why only certain people have it, B, why those certain people, when they do have it, if other people have it, they are considered witches, uh, where it comes from, how it happens. It was just kind of a a bizarre thing to put in there when I don't think it was necessary. I think if you just made Mulan a very adept warrior and you made the bad guys who apparently could all use chi, I just don't think that was necessary. And, and I'm not sure why they kind of went that direction, but the villain in this Jason Scott Lee, who plays Bori Khan, he is another person like legitimately was based off of a historical figure. And Jason Scott Lee did a lot of research about that character, you know, as kind of leader of these uh, Mongolian nomadic tribes and what they were doing at the time period. That was pretty cool. But I just feel like some of these characters, we never get that connection with it. In the Disney film, 
I mean, we get, you know, all of this side characters. We get funny lines here and there. We get funny scenes here and there. Enough so that when bad things start happening to those characters, we get concerned. We get worried. In this film, I mean, there are battles everywhere. There is war happening. And you rarely, or at least I rarely felt connected enough to the characters to be worried about them. Maybe that is partially because I was like, okay, this is a Disney film. The four other characters that they introduced that Mulan is friends with, uh, pretty sure none of them are going to get an arrow to the chest. But even so, like when there were tense moments, I just don't know. Like it, it did not really feel kind of earned. Uh, Donnie Yen played the commander of the unit that she is a part of. Lee Gong plays, again, a chi user slash witch. Jet Li is the emperor. Uh, Jima is her father. Rosalind Chow is her mother. Uh, one of the kind of like cool little, not even Easter eggs, but uh, Pei Pei Shang is the matchmaker. She is a legend in Chinese cinema, Chinese action cinema. She was one of like the pioneers of being a woman in martial arts films back in the day. Uh, she was also Jade Fox in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So seeing her in this, like that was just really cool. And I think they did a really good job. And this is something that it feels weird to applaud this. But it was like, cool, you're doing a Chinese epic, historical, mythological film. Or you're doing a film about a mythological, historical figure in China. Good job. You put a lot of Chinese actors in it. I hate that we have to applaud that. But I am going to applaud it. And I am going to say, good job. You, you did a good thing by going that route. And it, and it worked. And I like that they incorporated that. Everybody from, like again, those old school folks like Pei Pei Shang to Ji Ma, who are just legends in Chinese cinema and in just China in general. So I like that they were doing that. And that also brings me to the lead, of course, uh, Ifei. So she, in real life is kind of untouchable uh, when it comes to her status uh, in in China. One of her nicknames, or not one of her nicknames, but her nickname is Fairy Sister in China because of her, her innocence and because of her, she is a, also a multi-talented musician and does a lot of things like that. So her performance in this, this is definitely her biggest role she was she was good in this but there were moments in it when i was like i was trying to figure out and i was trying to find the angle that she was going with as far as is she trying to portray the strength of this character or is she trying to kind of downplay this for maybe kind of her safety like obviously when she is in the barracks with these these other guys, I don't know. There, there's a lot of odd dichotomies in her portrayal of this character. And when we do see her use Chi, which we see like once as a kid and it was super awkward and kind of some bad CGI. And we see it kind of once in this other kind of fight in the barracks. And then only like a couple times more. So it was like, okay, why did we build into this so much 
when it seemed like that was not necessary for her character development. And I think that was maybe what I was feeling. Is like, where were they kind of going? What was she needing to pull from? And was she trying to pull too much? Were they trying to kind of cram too much in there for this? So that was, again, something that I, I kind of struggled with a little bit. The big thing that I struggled with with this movie, the fight choreography. Come on. One of the fantastic things, and I have talked about this for years on episodes. I started watching Chinese Kung Fu movies when I was like 12, 13, when I would go down to Hastings, uh, Hastings Video Store in the town that I grew up in, and anything that I could find, I would just pick it up. So once upon a time in China, like those old school Jet Li ones, like that was just, that was what I was consuming. The brilliance of the fight choreography of those films, of that generation of films, that genre of films, the camera was 20 feet away and it focused on the actors who were martial artists doing the thing. So you could see the thing and respect the thing. In this, there were so many quick cuts around the fight choreography and you have martial artists in this. That does not make sense to me. It, it truly does not. Even when you do a movie with martial arts and the actors themselves are not top-tier martial artists, there are still ways to do it where you can excuse it a little bit more. You can be like, okay, well, this person is not a martial artist, but they made it look good. This one, they just over-edit almost every single fight scene, and it just takes away from the performance. So... That just that that just is a big shame. And they had legitimate folks working on this film. The, some of the fight coordinators have done like John Wick 2 and 3, which has some of the best fight choreography in recent years. They were some of the fight coordinators. So I don't think it was their fault. I don't think it was the cast's fault. I think just in the editing room, they just got a little bit cut happy because some of it just, I think, just does a disservice to the performances. That was that was kind of weird. Um, let me see. She was never really explained. Uh, yeah, Jason Scott Lee's villain. It is pretty much the most simple backstory. It's like, the Emperor killed my father. Now I'm going to kill everybody. Okay. Uh, sure. Sure, buddy. And in these nomadic Mongolian tribes... There's one scene in a battle, and this is not going to spoil anything. I think it was even in the trailer. Um, they used a catapult or a trebuchet. Actually, yeah, it was catapult, not a trebuchet. This is a nomadic tribe, a Mongolian nomadic tribe. Uh, nomadic tribes, no matter where they were, did not roll around with catapults. Those are siege weapons. And that was just like, where did you guys... Do you guys just have all the parts with you? They just build it on site? That was just kind of bizarre. Some of the decisions, and again, I think this goes back to the editing, in some of the fight scenes, characters just teleport places and end up in places that do not make sense, where literally they will be riding a horse, and suddenly they are 200 yards away, somehow behind enemy lines, uh, sneaking up on them. When they were just running directly towards them. Super weird. Does not really make sense. But it was there. 
Um, let me see. Oh, the other thing. So in the animated version, the reveal, you know, that we get when Mulan, you know, is wounded and goes in the medical tent and, you know, she basically gets exposed. That moment was so much more earned in that film. In this one, I mean, again, I'm trying to think. I can't really spoil this movie, I think, because people know this story. The story is a thousand years old. Um, the reveal in this, essentially, like, in the middle of a battle situation, she kind of emerges from the fog with her hair down, and suddenly everybody is like, wait a minute, that's not a man? And it was like, all of the men, every single man in this movie has long hair, as long as hers, if not longer. So the fact that she emerges from fog with her hair down, that blows their mind. And that somehow makes it obvious that she is a, a woman. Um, what? That, I, I do not understand that that reasoning Banned the choice. So it was there. Uh the other thing, and I feel like I just am just dragging this movie, and that is not intentional, but this, th there were a lot of parts of this movie that I just did not like. Uh, to me, honestly, I was offended, uh, straight up offended when the credits start rolling and we get not one, but two Christina Aguilera songs. One is a version of Reflection that she did in the original movie. Which, okay, sure, why not? And then an original song for this movie. That kind of bothered me, but I was okay with it. I was like, all right, sure, she did the original. Here we go, just give her a new one. But what offended me, legitimately offended me, and I got mad. <laughs> After we hear Christina Aguilera's original song, and then we hear her Reflection song, it then goes into the version of Reflection that Ife Lu sings in Mandarin, and it is beautiful, and it is at the tail end of the credits. Why? You focus so much on getting the casting right, of making it look period accurate, of making the costuming over-stylized, but relatively period appropriate, and then you give Christina Aguilera two songs in the credits before giving the star of your movie singing in a language that would have been used had they been doing this in a language appropriate to the time and place, you put that at the tail end of the credits, either put that in the front or do not put it in there at all. Because watching it and then getting to that part, I mean, I, I wrote on my notebook that I'm looking at right now, like I was just mad. Like that was, it just, it offended me. And I'm not sure why it offended me so much, but come on, you're the star of your movie is a legitimate singer and vocalist and has done albums in Mandarin. She did an album, I think, in Japanese as well, or at least a couple songs. She is talented. She did the song, put the song at the beginning of the credits. Give her that moment, especially in this movie where we just watched her portray this character. Give that to us. And they did not. They gave it to Christina Aguilera twice before they gave it to her. I, that ugh, blech. even thinking about it again, it just makes me feel icky. I just do not like it. Um, 
Yeah. So also before I get my rating, one one aspect of this film that definitely has been part of the conversation since they announced it about a month ago is the price point. I have had a lot of people ask me my opinion on this price point, which is $30 on Disney+. Plus. Even if you subscribe to Disney+, Plus and you pay your $10 or whatever it is, this is going to cost you an additional $30 to watch it this coming weekend versus waiting until, I think, December when they're going to drop it for free. I understand. I truly understand that to some people it is like 30 bucks when either people live alone or maybe it maybe it's just them and their partner. 30 bucks is is pretty steep. Now for a family, that $30 they are getting a bargain because they can make their own popcorn at home, they can make whatever snacks they want and then just get the movie for 30 bucks. Growing up in a big family of 6 even back in the 90s Going to movies was expensive. So I can understand that. What I really wish they would do, and they're not going to because the movie comes out in like two days. I wish they'd introduced two different plans. One version, maybe $15. And you can rent it for the weekend. Rent it for two days. $30 if you want to own the movie, which is what they are doing when you buy the $30. When you pay the $30, you own it for as long as you have Disney Plus subscription. I really wish they had taken a second that somebody in that boardroom had been like, you know what, maybe we should put a lower tier on there, not just for the single folks or, you know, the couples, but just for the people who only want to watch it once, maybe twice. That, I think, was just a big oversight. And yeah, I I think that a lot of people are going to choose not to pay the $30, even though they might want to see this movie, because... They cannot justify it, and I 100% understand that, especially with everything going on right now and people needing to kind of pinch their pennies. So, yeah, people will ask me about that, and that is my opinion. I really wish they had come out with two different tiers. It would have made so much sense, and I think it would have made them more money. The amount of people who are going to pay $30, I think, is a lot less than folks who would pay... Some would pay $30, some would pay $15. So that... Yeah, I think that was that was a weird choice. Um, lastly, <laughs> the budget for this movie was $200 million. $200 million. And this movie has some of the shallowest depth of field with a soft focus to hide background in recent memory. Like some of it, and I, they did film on location, well, on location in New Zealand uh, for some of it, but $200 million. And this, this sounds weird, but nobody in the cast, as much as they are legends, the budget could not have gone to the cast because as much as I love some of these actors, even though they overdubbed Jet Li's voice in a weird way, and I'm not sure why, they overmixed it, um, this cast is not expensive. To put it in perspective, and I even pulled the numbers on this, and I have them right in front of me. The four main Asian, the four main Chinese movies that became big in the U.S. post Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because that was the breakthrough for a lot of people to be like, oh, look, an entire genre of movies that I had never thought of before. Um, That kind of opened the door to a lot of them. So you have 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, House of Flying Daggers, Hero, and Curse of the Golden Flower. If you have only seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, do yourself a favor, find those other three. All of them have their great points. Curse of the Golden Flower is my least favorite of that kind of four film block um, that are not connected at all. Those are just four that became common or familiar over here. Combined, all four of those movies have a budget of $105 million. Adjusted for inflation, because I also did that too, because I am a weirdo, it still is nowhere close to $200 million. Just Crouching Tiger by itself, $17 million, and it is one of the, flat out, one of the most gorgeous films I have ever seen. Like It just, it is a beautiful film. So for $200 million, and this is $200 million Disney dollars, which it seems like count for double, where did that money go? Some of the CGI is sloppy. Some of the wire work is really sloppy. The shallow depth of field, I, I, I just do not know where the money went. And that was the budget. They Forget the marketing budget, which is normally double the production budget, but out of their control. They were supposed to release this a long time ago, COVID. I get that. But the actual production budget of $200 million when I just named four movies made 15 years ago that look infinitely better than this film in every aspect. The production design looked better in those films. The costuming looked better in those films. The martial arts looked better in those films. The colors looked better in those films. Everything about those films look better than this, and they had a tenth of the budget. Ah, so that, oof. Yeah, that, that, was, that was just harsh when I looked at those numbers after I watched this. Okay, um, <laughs> that, that was me going off on a tangent. Uh, it is also, I'm recording this super late uh, at night, so I am a little bit stir-crazy. And again, talking to myself in a studio is, is real weird. But my official rating for Mulan, a film that I was definitely looking forward to because I love the Disney cartoon, uh, I had the poster in my room, in fact, uh, in high school when this came out because I just had a bunch of movie posters in my room and I really liked Mulan. I saw it more than once in the theater. No shame in my game whatsoever. This version, uh, I got to give this a bat also. I think that some of the visual styling is gorgeous. I think some of the performances are good. But overall, I, I was surprised that I did not like it more. And and who knows? I'm, I might watch it again and get a different opinion. But as of right now, I, yeah, I was not really impressed with a lot of this movie. There were some impressive moments, but not a lot. Uh, there is a super cool cameo, literally like in the last five minutes, I think, of the movie. Um, that really made me smile that like they give they give an actress or an actor oops actress <laughs> a moment that was just it was really well earned and I liked that a lot so okay uh yikes two films and but they both got a bad sorry folks Bill and Ted face the music got a bad Mulan got a bad also oof uh next week's episode uh there actually were two 
kind of film festivals, mini film festivals that happened recently. One in Vancouver, uh, the Mighty Asian Movie Making Marathon, which is a cool thing that I will definitely talk about more. That happened this past weekend. And then we had a sci-fi uh, film festival here in Seattle, virtual, of course, um, yeah, that I will also be talking about last week. And so even though those already happened, I really wanted to to showcase what they were doing because I think they were doing some really cool stuff. Not I think, they are doing some really cool stuff. So look forward to that on next week's episode. In the meantime, make sure to follow the podcast, like I said, on your podcast platform of choice. If you find a device that it is not on or a service it is not on, let me know and I will look into it. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. YouTube.com slash About to Review and About to has all the information about the show and not guests. Uh, but yeah, it has helpful links as well in there. So that wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, I have been your host, as always, your friend in film, that guy named John, and I will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.